This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. Let's talk about the Trans Mountain Pipeline now and other pipeline projects across Canada. The Canadian Taxpayers Federation on a tour right now highlighting the tax benefits from these projects. Franco Terrazano is with me in the studio. He is the Alberta Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Frank's, Franco, thank you for coming in. Hey, thanks for having me on. Also got Chris Sims standing by as well. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me on too. You're welcome, Chris. These guys are sharing a mic. That's why I'm laughing here. Uh, Chris Sims is the BC Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. You guys just finished an event on the front lawn of the BC Legislature, and I see you've unveiled a what do you call this a tax counter <laughs> what like i i've seen your uh, your counter for the uh, the the national debt yeah the debt this clock is, this is the debt clock this is the one that keeps spinning around and it keeps going up 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 all the time but now you've got a similar spin on that for for uh, tax revenue from pipelines right yeah so okay, ca- tell me about that our counter is based off the CTF's uh, famous uh, debt counter yeah. and so right now we're on a we're on a cross country pipeline tour and we're talking about the benefits of pipelines uh, to taxpayers you know okay. normally when when you hear pipelines you hear benefits the first thing I think that comes to mind for most Canadians is the additional jobs or the dif- uh, additional economic growth, but in like one or two portions of the country. So now what we're showing is like, well, jobs are an important aspect of pipelines, but governments also lose out on a lot of money when pipelines aren't being built and when we're not getting full value for our resources. So that's the message that we're taking coast to coast. Uh, we started out in Ottawa. We did the East Coast. Today, we're in, in Victoria, right outside of that beautiful legislature building. Okay. So you guys have calculated how much tax revenue potentially flows to government from these pipelines, right? Yeah, absolutely. Tell me so, about that. So uh, what, what we did is we used data that was published by the parliamentary budget officer to look yeah. at how much additional federal government revenue would be collected if that oil price differential was lower because more pipelines uh, were built. So between uh, since 2013, that pipeline deficit is costing Canadian taxpayers over $6 billion. Now, here's where the clock thing comes in because that number is going up by $3.6 million every single day. Now, now, that's a lot of money in terms of different services that we could buy, right? So if we did have enough pipeline capacity between 2013 and 2023, we would have enough money to build at least six new hospitals based on a Metro Vancouver hospital costs, or to fully fund over 26,000 new teaching positions for 10 years in British Columbia, or even even to exempt every single resident uh, residents of Victoria from paying federal taxes for four years. So, I mean, we're leaving a lot of money on the table because of because uh, because of the pipeline and, constraints. And where does all this tax revenue come from? Is it because you would get a higher price for the oil if we can sell it in Asia. Well, well, that's it. Well, that's well, that's pretty much absolutely it. So, what we're looking at is specifically what we're looking at is how the lack of pipelines has increased the differential between uh, the price of oil in Canada, the the Western Canada select price, and the uh, Western Texas intermediate price. Now, there's always a differential because of transportation costs, because of quality differences. But now we're facing a higher than than normal uh, differential because of the lack of pipelines. So, what we looked at with the data in that parliamentary budget officer uh, report is well, how much additional revenue would the federal government collect if that price differential was lower. So if we receive full value for our oil, which we yeah. could do if we were able to reach, yeah. if we weren't so dependent on the United States. So now we're talking about higher income taxes, higher corporate income taxes, even uh, even higher sales taxes and uh, what they call other revenue. 
Okay, here in British Columbia, of course, we're very well versed in the Trans Mountain Expansion Pipeline Project, but you guys are talking about other pipeline projects, right? Yeah. We're, so we're what, ta- other, what other projects are there? Well, we're talking about the need to have a workable regulatory system and to get these large uh, business projects built, right? And I mean, it's pretty self-evident right now that we don't have that, right? Like, I'm sure that all, all your listeners are sure of the, the Trans Mountain debacle that's been, been going on right now and the difficulties there. But we're not just talking about Trans Mountain, right? We've seen, we've seen issues with uh, Northern Gateway. Right, we've seen issues with the proposed uh, tanker ban, which yeah. obviously would limit uh, future projects like that. But then we're also talking about projects like Energy East, and, yeah. and now I'm not sure how familiar your listeners are, but um, the regulatory goalposts were shifted yeah. uh, during the review process. Yeah. Um, so, so right here, you know, we're looking at a workable regulatory system for not just Trans Mountain, but for for these future large projects. Okay, let me switch over to Chris Sims, who's the BC director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Um, You've been meeting with some provincial premiers as, as you guys travel across the country on, on this thing. Are you hoping to meet with Premier John Horgan on this? We'd love to. The door is always What do you open. think the chances are that he's going to meet with you guys? You never know. He Probably is a- zero. Zero, I would say. <laughs> he's zero. A, he's a very friendly and intelligent man, and he's got some time now, right? The ledge isn't sitting. <laughs> okay. So the door is open, and yeah. for real. What would you tell him if you were sitting across from him right now? I would appeal to the premier's uh, sense of labor. I would say you must have steel workers, pipe fitters, crane operators, truckers banging your door down right now saying, yeah. where is my job? Why can't we twin this pipeline? Why are you attacking resources? I believe in his heart of hearts that he is pro-resources. We can see that with LNG. We can yeah. see that with Site C. And I would say we got to cross over here. We got to cross this river and you have to agree that we see this as a jobs and a resources issue and take a look at the taxes. And as my colleague pointed out, those six hospitals, those aren't a small one. That would be St. Paul's. That's the equivalent of six St. Paul's hospitals. But would all this tax revenue, though, it wouldn't all flow to the B.C. government. You're talking about all levels of government, are you? Yes, yes. And so this is the federal uh, take of the taxes, right? And that's about $12 billion between 2013 and 2023. And if you calculate that down, that's what that looks like. What do you say to, you know, if Horgan was here right now, he would say that the reason that this government opposes this pipeline is that it's actually potentially bad for business. If there is a catastrophic spill and it wipes out fisheries and tourism and we're faced with a massive cleanup bill and it's a total disaster, right? And that would be an economic catastrophe as well Mm -hmm. if there was ever kind of a terrible spill like that. Do you guys calculate that into your risk-benefit analysis here? Like, you know, okay, yeah, we can make a ton of money if this thing goes through. But what if it goes wrong and there's a spill? Well, you know what? I mean, environmental concerns are genuine concerns. And I mean, these are eco, environmental and economic concerns, which they are. And look, if there is a spill, the company should be held responsible as they should. But now we're talking about you have to you you can't just have one or the other. I mean, it's not just like one development versus protecting just the environment. Right. We need to be able to have a balance here. And and what we're seeing is, is we're not having that balance. We're missing that balance. We need a workable regulatory system that takes these environmental concerns into consideration that if the business messes up, the business pays for it, right? But we also can't just say, well, we're banning development, right? We yeah. can't, we can't do that. I mean, how are we going to, how are we going to progress as a nation, as a society to, to pay for a lot of different things? In terms of the calculation itself, the calculation just looks at that price differential, 
yeah. and how uh, additional pipelines would benefit. Like, so that is the focus of the calculation. What is the current status of the pipeline right now? Like, it's essentially in the in the court of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and his cabinet. Right? They did another review of the pipeline, and they they were anticipating an announcement from the Trudeau cabinet at some point that they're going to presumably build the thing. Right. What, what are you anticipating there? I mean, yeah, presumably, hopefully. Yeah. I mean, they've, they've come out and said it's in the national interest. I mean, look, anything that we say now... Do you is, think they're scared? I mean, there's an, an election coming up in the fall. This is tricky politics on this thing. Do you detect any kind of foot dragging that maybe they want to... Let's go back to Chris Sims on Chris. Do you think they're going to delay this thing? Or do you think Trudeau... I, th- I think if Trudeau was smart, he would come out right now and say, I'm all in, the, in on this pipeline just like I said I would. We've approved it. We're putting shovels in the ground right now. That would be smart, um, but I think... I think it's good politics for him. It is good politics, but we have to wonder why it's taken so long. Why did it get to the point where he dragged his feet for about four years and all of a sudden bought this pipeline with taxpayers' money? We had a corporation saying, here's some money. We'll pay for it. Help us. We're going to twin this pipeline. We own it. It's our responsibility. We're going to pay people for it. And they dragged their feet and ragged the puck for so long that the corporation threw its hands in the air and said here yeah. you leave it and now we're owning the darn thing we right. don't want taxpayers to own this thing and so you know it's but it is what it is right yep. so we so what is your message to trudeau let's get going on this let's get her done yeah. okay. let's get her done <laughs> get her, just like they say in alberta right get her done my guests are chris sims and franco terrazano from the canadian taxpayers federation they say that we're leaving a lot of money on the table by not approving and building these pipelines. Lots of tax revenue flows to government as a result of these projects. You can use it for good things like schools and hospitals. What do you think of that argument? 604-280-9898 is the number to call on the open line. 604-280-9898, star 9898 on your cell. Let's go to Derek in Port Coquitlam. Hi, Derek. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Sure. At first, I was against the pipelines, but now the way they're shipping it through the rails and stuff, we've got to get that thing started and twinned because uh, when we had BC Rail, the biggest trains here were our 99 cars. Now they're running at 120 cars per train, and it's just getting more and more dangerous to ship that stuff by rail. There's more incidents that are going to happen on the rail lines than there would on a pipeline, guaranteed. Thank you for the call. Franco. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and so I think when we we talk about the pipeline discussion, another thing that we need to talk about, it's not like we just don't have a pipeline and then all oil consumption is is done, right? Like, so for yeah. example, like if we're making it hard to get pipelines built, what happens? Well, then there's an increase in, in rail cars, right? Yeah. Or if we limit what we can produce and sell in Canada, it's not like global oil demand just goes away like that, right? Like oil is going to be around for quite some time. So then we all have to ask ourselves an important question. I mean, like where should the oil be produced? And where should jobs be created? I mean, do you, in places like Canada, or I mean, there's there's many other regimes like Saudi Arabia, like Russia. I mean, I, we just need to understand that just because we're blocking pipeline, because we're blocking development, doesn't mean oil consumption is going away. Yeah, and if you take a look at the uh, the route of these train tracks going down the Fraser Valley or whatever, a lot of quite often is built right by the river. So you know, if you get a derailment and uh, an oil car is falling into the Fraser River or some other river. I mean, you got a a catastrophe there. Now, people who are opposed to this pipeline, of course, though, Chris would say, yeah, but that's a heck of a lot different from uh, a massive catastrophic tanker disaster in a marine environment. 
and, well, and you can't clean this stuff up. Well, it's hard to say, right? Because there's so much money now being put into making sure that these things are safe. And really, we can't kid ourselves. I mean, look off the coast of Vancouver. It is full of barges and massive vessels, uh, tour boat boats, you name it. It's not as if we've just arrived on the planet and we suddenly yeah. want to start using uh, industrial-sized ships. This has been going on for a long, long time. And as we've seen time and again by outside industry, they say that shipping it by pipeline is much, much safer than shipping what it about, by rail. What about climate change, though? I mean, Alberta's on fire right now. And we've got, we had smoke hanging over Vancouver the other day from wildfires in Alberta. It's only June. Well, let's, yeah, let's talk about climate change. And, right. and whenever we talk about the environment, I mean, you have to think about local considerations, but to, to the point that we just kind of made, it's not, climate change is not just a local issue. Climate change is a global issue. Yeah. And when we look at um, oil consumption, we look at um, trends, I mean, oil is not going anywhere anytime soon, or at least not in the immediate foreseeable future. Right. So it brings us back to that question is, is when we think about climate change, we think about a global issue. Well, how do we address the global issue? Do we address the issue by shooting ourselves in the foot? I, I would say no. Yeah. I would say no. I, at least when it comes to oil, one of the ways that we can work is, is so that we're not shooting ourselves in the foot, so that we can build pipelines and reach foreign customers. What do you think of this new government you got in Alberta? You're the Alberta director for the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. You got Jason Kenney as the new premier, United Conservative uh, government. I'm, I'm sure you guys are happier with them than you were with the new Democrats. But what are your thoughts and hopes for this government? Well, from a taxpayer perspective, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of uh, promises that they put on the table that that look good, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, we've been uh, th the leading opponent against the carbon tax, right? We yeah. saw what just happened; they scrapped the carbon tax. We've been pushing for them to reduce the business tax rate to eight percent for years. The previous a previous government promised that never fo followed through with that. So, so that looks good too. But now, here's one thing: when we're talking about the UCP, but we need them to focus on cutting spending. And we're going to be pushing them on that. Like, um, our our budget is an absolute mess, and we spend a lot more money per person than other comparable provinces. And the UCP is going to be coming in after more than a decade of runaway spending. What's the deficit in Alberta these days? Well, the operational deficit, um, it's I mean, it's 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 getting quite big, right? We're, we're talking, yeah, we're talking over five billion dollars. What is for the, the what operational is, deficit? What is Kenny's position on a balanced budget? Has he promised to balance the budget, or is it even possible to balance the? Yeah, Alberta no, budget? he's he's promised to balance. He's promised to balance the budget, but here's the key: um, he hasn't come out and said he's going to cut overall spending levels. And so, when we're talking about taxpayer burdens, I mean, the taxation is all, all an obvious burden, but the real burden comes from spending. Right. When the government spends, you have to pay for it, whether that's your taxes or debt. So now what we need to do is cut the spending. He's coming in after the NDP jacked up spending for four years, which followed a decade of progressive conservative raising the tax or raising the spending. So that's what we need to focus on in Alberta. What do you think of the Alberta government spending a million dollars on billboards around Metro Vancouver to encourage uh, the John Horgan government to get behind this pipeline, which is kind of a pipe dream. I mean, you know, Horgan's not going to turn around and say, oh, yeah, I saw a billboard, so I'm going to support the pipeline now. Is that a good use of Alberta taxpayers' money? Well, look, I mean, it's 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 nice to have um, politicians that are supporting uh, energy development. It is, I mean, but look, we don't we don't need to have um, wasting taxpayer money um, like that. I mean, it is fantastic to have a yeah. government who is supporting who is supporting development, but I mean, Look, like you think that's a that, you think that's a waste of money. Yeah, you okay. know, I I, I okay. wouldn't say that's a particularly great use of taxpayer dollars. Let's squeeze in when there's groups like us doing it. Yeah, right. Let's squeeze in one more call here, Julia in Vancouver. Hi. 
Oh, hi. Um, I just want to go back briefly to something that your guest said a couple of minutes ago, and that is that he was talking about global missions. Um, And that's true. That's exactly what the environmentalists should be looking at. Uh, Say, for example, China is uh, has got what about 28%, I think it is of global emissions. Um, And and they're burning oil, Uh, they're burning coal, right? If we could export Canadian oil to China, that they would be able to reduce their reliance on coal. Okay, that's one of the other things. Thank you for the the call. We have 30 seconds. Franco. Well, that's the big thing. Look, I mean, as as Canadians, we have to ask ourselves, if we want to help the environment, we want to create jobs, where should the oil be produced? In Canada or or would you rather places like Saudi Arabia, Russia, so on and so forth? I mean, we can create jobs. We can help the environment. We can pay for more hospitals and more teachers right here at home if we have the pipeline capacity to sell our resources all over the world and at full value. Thanks for coming in, you guys. Thank you. I appreciate it a lot. That is Franco Terrazano. He is the Alberta Director of Canadian Taxpayers Federation, Chris Sims. She's the BC Director uh, in Victoria today.